Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prame, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And on this Friday edition of the show, we are breaking down a couple hot topics that are on uh, the Duck Territory message boards lately. One of which, is it really a possibility that uh, multiple freshmen are going to come into this football team in 2021 and unsurp veteran starters? Uh, how likely is that? Why, where has that expectation come from? Uh, and, and we'll give our thoughts on that. And then we'll also dive into a question that I posed uh, on the message board that kind of just took off. And that is, if you were going to donate, some, if you had $10 million or, or somewhere around there, and you had to donate it to the University of Oregon's athletics department, uh, and you were a mega booster, what would you donate that money to? Uh, and improve and enhance at Oregon. It could be anything. It could be uniforms for every school, for every sport. It could be salary for new positions. It, it could be a new facility, whatever. Uh, we'll discuss that as well. But first, I want to remind you guys today that you can subscribe to DuckTerritory.com and get an annual membership for 50% off. Plus, you get CBS All Access instantly added to your account. It's a free service that comes with your membership to DuckTerritory.com. You get live TV shows, sports, movies, on-demand features. It's all commercial free. Uh, it's being updated on a regular basis. And then it's actually going to go through a name change to Paramount uh, here in a couple of days. And with our agreement there, it's going to just even get better and better. Uh, the service of that, it's a $100 value. You get it free and you get access to it free. Uh, when you sign up for an annual membership to DuckTerritory.com, which you're already saving a huge chunk of money. So highly encourage you to do that. Okay, Eric, um, this came up on Thursday's Quack Chat. If you're not a subscriber to DuckTerritory.com, it's a day-long event where every Thursday we post a thread and we answer questions all day long from Duck fans. And this got brought up about Alex Forsythe uh, and the possibility that freshman center, four-star center Jackson Light could maybe move into the starting lineup in place of Alex Forsythe, who, remind you, was an all-conference player for Oregon last season. Um, and it opened up a door of a discussion point that we felt was needed that all of a sudden it feels like everyone is just quickly gravitating towards the four-star, the five-star freshman and thinking that he is just going to instantly uh, unsurp a starting veteran player. And you, I think I speak for you, Eric. We don't necessarily think that's as as automatic as a lot of people are just assuming that this recruiting class is going to do. Yeah, no, I was uh, kind of going back and forth with a couple posters and it was Jackson Light as well as Logan Sagapalu, who's on the roster currently, another freshman a young player. And, and, and the suggestion was basically that these young guys are going to step in and push a guy like Alex Forsythe out of the starting lineup. And I, I think it's just something, and, and I know we, we've talked about this before. We had Rob Mosley on and, and, and Rob 
I think we had a pretty good conversation just about there are these kind of actually I don't want to put words in his mouth, but there are these kind of expectations placed on incoming players because of recruiting rankings, because these players are so visible so early now. I mean, everybody knows Jackson Light. They follow him on Twitter. Um, they've watched his highlight tape. Logan Sagapalu, probably similar thing. Um, people people are excited by these guys, and they come in with these expectations that they're going to be just immediately awesome. And that's, fi- that's fine and good. There are instances where this works out. Penny Sewell comes in and starts right away. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau comes in and has to wait a little bit of time, but he ends up starting. Justin Herbert, same thing. Uh, Noah Sewell, same thing. But I think the I think what's really important to just, you know, the discrepancy between those names I just ran through and the Alex Forsyth situation is the caliber of player this young player has to beat out. And I just think it's become kind of absurd sometimes. The, and I don't want to pick, I'm not even going to name who posted it or what, what the conversations were, but just exactly. But I just think that there is this strange expectation that, you know, Somewhat, somewhat veteran players, team leaders are going to get pushed to the side by 18 and 19 year olds like Alex Forsyth. And I know we, we, we addressed this on the podcast on Wednesday's mailbag of, yeah, the snaps weren't great. And there were times where the snaps were problematic. I actually hadn't recognized <laughs> how much frustration there was from the fan base during the season about his snapping. You know, I think, I think this might've been a thing where there was so much frustration thrust at Tyler Shuck for, his inability to make certain reads and his struggles. It was just collateral damage for Alex Forsyth. <laughs> yeah, there was a little collateral damage, but I also just hadn't realized that people were pointing the finger at Alex that much. And so, like, I get on there and I'm kind of like, you know, uh, basically, like, no, I don't think Alex Forsyth is going to lose his job. Like, maybe the snacks were, snaps weren't perfect, but this is a, a per, this is a guy who was second team all conference by the coach by the coaches, and he's the t- the offensive line leader. He played every snap. Mario Cristobal has given him the utmost vote of confidence. Every time he's spoken about him, I mean, he's talked about, spoken about him like he's, um, you, you know, the kind of the perfect leader for that group and, and, and kind of the eyes and ears and an extension of the coaching staff. And I just think, I just, I honestly got really frustrated going back and forth with fans. And I understand because, you know, we play, we, and we don't directly, but 24 seven recruiting services play a role in kind of building these expectations for young guys. But I just think it's gotten to the point where we need to address it of like, sure, a Kayvon Thibodeau can come in and, at some point beat out a Gus Cumberlander and Cumberlander actually got hurt, but like at some point start during his freshman year, like that's not crazy, especially when there's not a superior player on the roster at his position. Like the fact that Justin Herbert, Herbert beats out Dakota Prukop. Okay. The fact that Noah Sewell beats out Drew Mathis. Okay. But to expect a either light or Saga Palu who are still teenagers who have basically no experience in the system to jump in, and to suddenly unseat a guy like Forsythe, who again, all conference, first year as a starter, uh, you know, people talk about his snaps. I, I think you have to, there's a couple of parts to that too that I, w- I want to address in a second, but like just his role on the team, I, I, I you know, you want to play the best player, but I just find it extremely unlikely that anybody, any of these younger guys has any shot really of, of unseating him. I mean, it, it would be like, do you, I mean, Oregon only had a handful of guys that were all conference. And I know you can argue all the day if you want to say that those are unfair or accurate, but would we be having this conversation? Are we, is, does somebody think Avante Dickerson's going to knock off a uh, Mikhail Wright, one of Oregon's other all conference caliber players? Do people think that 
you know, um, I'm trying to think of another example from the all conference team that, Oh, like, I don't know. Like, is, is, do people think like a Keanu Williams is going to jump in because he's sort of highly regarded and, and, and push someone on the defensive line. Like, I, I just think that this has become something that is a little bit overblown. Um, and that's not to say that I don't think these players can come in and make contributions because Mr. Cristobal has been very clear that that's the expectation. These players are going to come in and challenge and, and have a shot to play. That's the kind of guy he recruits. But I also think it's really a disservice to the veterans on the roster. And it's frankly kind of right. disrespectful to just suggest that Forsyth, who, again, like, I mean, again, I, I, I don't want to say he was perfect, but like to say he comes off his first year as a starting center. And I think the two things with the snaps I wanted to address one, they weren't perfect, but you also have to recognize he has a lot of pre-snap duties. He has never been an in-game center. People were pointing at the fact, well, he's not like this is the first time he snapped. Well, it is the first time he's actually snapped in-game. He was high school tackle um, up in the Portland area at West Lynn. Um, he did not play center in high school. He did not have, I don't know how many snaps he had prior to 2020 at the center position replacing Jake Hansen. Like, I don't know, like what, maybe 15? Because they had Calvin Throckmorton out there anytime it was – um, kind of a pivotal spot. So, you know, like you can, there's that point. And then the other part, and I credit Kevin Wade for finding this clip when um, James Crepio, the Oregonian asked Forsyth about the snaps midway through the season. He said that was how Tyler Shuck wanted the snaps, you know, and, and now you can, we can sit here and try to litigate. Is he trying to cover his own butt by saying that, but the Alex Forsyth that we've gotten to know and the caliber of person we've talked to, right. And the way that his teammates talk about it, I don't think he's going to throw his quarterback under the bus. To, to kind of cover his own butt because that seems weird. So like, I think that part needs to be at least acknowledged too. Like if the snaps weren't good, is it, or like it weren't exactly the way you'd like to see them. There is a quarterback center re relationship here and that may have played a part. So I just wanted to address that because I, you know, I, I, <laughs> I was going through it kind of going like, I was really stunned the blowback and the pushback I was getting of kind of people being like Forsyth stinks and, He's the worst center Oregon has had since 2000, which was a comment somebody made. And like, you know, his career is incomplete, but yeah. And, and you're not going to say he's better than Jake Hansen or Hironis Grasso or um, Jordan Holmes or some of these guys who are, who are really highly regarded all conference guys themselves. But like, this is his first year playing the position. He was one of the two best centers in the Pac-12 this last year. Not every, like, like not every player is going to be an NFL player. And yes, if he's not yeah. an NFL prospect, doesn't mean he's not a good football player. Like center, like you just ran through it. The, the Ducks have had a run where they've had some amazing centers roll through the program. Max Unger, Cronus Grosu, uh, Jake Hansen. And you could argue like Matt Hagerty. I, I mean, I, I think Hagerty, Holmes, and Forsyth, like, they're all interchangeable, like to me. Like they're all on the same tier. You you could argue that Forsyth is best out of those three. You could argue Hagerty is the best of all those three. You could argue Holmes is the best of those three. Uh, and then there's that next group where it's NFL dudes, where it's Grasu, it's Unger, it's uh, Hansen, and all three of those guys. Unger has retired. Unger ended up being one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL for a stretch of his time. Uh, like, so if, if, if you're basing off that, like that's, that's unfair um, to Forsyth. Like, Cause not every player is going to be one of that comes through any program is going to be 
one of the best, you know, when he gets to the next level, one of the best players at his position. Um, that's just unrealistic expectations and unfair expectations. Uh, now, that's also not to sit here and say that Forsyth was totally perfect. He wasn't, and he needed he needed room to, to – he needs to get better at certain areas. And it's also not to say that, you know, if, if you slip up, you're fine. No, Oregon's recruiting at a high level where – if you slip up and you continue to slip up, you will eventually lose your job because this isn't like a deal where it used to be where Oregon would have like a really good recruiting class or two really good recruiting classes come into the program and then follow it up with two or three average to mediocre classes. And it's basically a, well, he's our best player. And even though he's not playing up to par, like there's a huge drop off between him and the next guy. So we just, we're just going to have to roll with him. Um, like that's not the case anymore at Oregon. So like, yeah, I could see Jackson light. Like if Forsyth does come in and struggle the first half of this season uh, and let's say, you know, Jackson light is up to is better than expected and it's chomping at the bit. Like, yeah, you could see a situation where, you know, maybe if the season is going away from Oregon and they need a jolt along the offensive line, then yeah, they could make that change. But I, I don't think Forsyth – if there's going to be a change along the offensive line, I think Forsyth is probably the guy that I would least expect to, to see his job open up. Like I, I'm looking at the tackle positions um, and more so because I think one of the tackles could move into to guard and that, that allows Kingsley to, to move into the starting lineup. If, the, you know, if that's where a, a, a newcomer is going to get his, his spot on the lineup along the offensive line. Fan base's favorite players are almost always the backup of a player they don't think is very good. Exactly. And then, if, and then when that player gets his chance, if he's not very good, you kind of forget that you thought he was your favorite player. Like, and I made this point before, there were some people who were really, really pushing for like Tyler Shuck to get into games and like see if he could. You know, it, Herbert's not playing great. I mean, that that was actual stuff we would see on social. Now media. the Duck fan base is thinking Tyler Shuck is trash. And now, yeah, exactly. Um, there, I mean, and, and I've, I mean, not nobody said Braxton Burmeister was amazing when he first started playing, but when he was brought in as a recruit, everyone celebrated. He was a four-star recruit. The moment he gets into a game and is bad, everyone thinks he stinks. And I, I bring that up just to also say, like, we don't know for sure that one of these younger guys, just because they're younger and more highly regarded as a recruit. And by the way, I don't think even Saga Paulo is more highly regarded than Forsyth. But Jackson Light is the highest rated center anyone's the, the program has ever signed. So I get the kind of instinct to be like, okay, he's the best we've ever signed. We've got to get him in there. But there's also no guarantee he's going to, that player is going to fare any better. And I think you just kind of have to trust the coaches. And, and hey, like this could be a situation. I'm, I'm not totally closed off to the possibility that like maybe we get into spring ball and it's like one of the first things Mario Crystal out of his mouth is, boy, Jackson Light is really, really good. And this is going to, this actually might be a competition. And then, hey, Guess what? Jackson Light is really, really good, and this is going to be a competition. But I don't think this job opens up because Alex Forth, because Alex Forsyth, because he's not good enough. I think this job opens up potentially if it does, and again, I don't think it will because one of these young guys is just really, really good, and that's a, and that's an awesome thing. But I also think, again, the flip side of that is to have the expectation be that every single freshman, because they're highly regarded is going to come in and be amazing day one is really a disservice to those guys. And it sets the expectations in a place that's really not great because, because again, again, 
the moment they get in the field and, oh, Jackson Light actually has a couple bad snaps, suddenly he stinks and you're looking around going like, well, who's the next guy? And I just think that that is a really unhealthy kind of mindset to look at all this behind. And, and, and again, I want to make it clear when a player's not playing well, that's totally fine. I understand it. You, you want to find a replacement. But I just think to assume a player just because he's a highly rated recruit is going to just jump in and knock out a guy who's a starter and was an all-conference guy is just, I think, pretty ridiculous. And that's why I look at it and say, like, which true freshmen have a chance to come in and make an impact? And I'm looking for position groups where there is no incumbent starter. That's why I'm like, okay, Maliki Matavajo at tight end, that could be a spot. Okay, could um, Dickerson or Jalen Davies or Darren Barkins potentially push to start at corner because that's an open spot? Um, you know, I guess there's nothing really open us otherwise offensively and, and defensively, like on the defensive line, they didn't really bring in enough guys, but like, those are the spots I, I, I'd be looking for. And, and this is the reason also why last year with Justin Flo, and I know the season didn't, he didn't, wasn't healthy for available for the whole season, but this, is, but this guy is the all time big time recruit. This is the second best recruit Oregon's ever signed. He wasn't like really even close to unseating Isaac, Isaac Slaymato Atia from everything we've heard. And he comes in as the second highest rated recruit in program history. And I still remember there was an awful lot of conversation when I was putting together my predicted two deep around this time last year for Oregon at linebacker of like, what are you doing? Why isn't Justin Flo and Noah Sewell on the first team defense? And it's like, well, I don't know. Isaac Slade Mato was like an all conference caliber linebacker last year. And one of the team leaders, you just think he gets pushed to the side because they bring in a five-star recruit. And guess what? Justin Flo is a heck of a lot better recruit than Jackson Light from a recruiting ranking perspective. And I could, I would also say that Forsyth has more, had more all conference recognition than Isaac Slade Matuatia had. So I know th these are, you can argue these are apples and oranges. They aren't exact circumstances, but I, I, it just kind of, I think it needs to be just the expectation needs to be shifted a little bit. And I get the expectation around recruiting and our website and our fans are recruiting fanatics. They get excited by it. But I also just think that there needs to be kind There's of also a reality. Yeah, I was going to say, there also has to be the reality that, like, <laughs> like the guys I, on the team are also good. You were excited about just, these guys when they signed, you know, before, a couple of years ago. I don't want to ruin everyone's, you know, excitement for the, for the, for the recruiting class because it's tremendous. But this is going to be an impact where we're going to see it for the next five years with the 2021 recruiting class. And just from a data standpoint, all right, let's go back to 2017, a recruiting class that was 20th in the country and the talent level at Oregon at this point was nowhere near where it is now from a roster makeup perspective. Okay. So this is, this gets impacted just a little bit here because of that. But in that 2017 recruiting class, you had basically two guys show up as, as newcomer freshmen and start Thomas Graham at cornerback and Jordan Scott at nose tackle for the ducks everybody else in this class either redshirted or rotated their way in johnny johnson rotated his way in nick pickett rotated his way in austin folio rotated his way in diamond lenore rotated his way in jalen red rotated his way in samson new rotated his way in um, all of those guys played and they some of them played a lot some of them even had multiple starts but they weren't full-time starters in 2017 as true freshmen in 2018 right. as true freshmen there were two guys that really stood out as full-time legit starters as true freshmen Penny Sewell and Javon Holland 
you, you go down the list and there really isn't anybody else on this team that started a ton of games as true freshmen. Um, some of them played, some of them did not play. Uh, and some of them had a couple starts. 2019, same deal. Two guys. You could maybe argue three. Kayvon Thibodeau, Michael Wright. Those two guys were your legit. They played every game. They played almost every snap. They were out there a ton. And then you could maybe argue Mace Funa and Micah Pittman, one of those two guys getting out there and playing quite a bit. Um, Josh Delgado got some playing time. Uh, you got Keon Ware Hudson, Christian Williams. Uh, they got some playing time. Um, Jamal Hill and DJ James and Brandon Dorless also got some playing time, but none of them were full-time starters as freshmen during that 2019 season. And then in 2020, very much the same deal here. Noah Sewell, he showed up and he basically was a, a full-time starter for the Ducks day one uh, at, at linebacker. Everybody else that was a freshman, they did not start right away. Justin Flo. He did not start right away. He got hurt week one, but he did not start that first week. Dante Manning, he didn't even play. So three out of two out of your three five stars didn't play because of injury. Chris Hudson, he got in on some games. Uh, Robbie Ashford and Jay Butterfield, both high-level quarterbacks, didn't play in this season. Uh, Jaden Navarrete, he did not play. Jonathan Dennis, he, he had a little bit of playing time. Jason Jones did not play. Trey Benson, he got hurt and did not play. Uh, Michael Afisi did not play. So you go down the list and every year there's about one to three guys that are true freshmen that start right away. So if knowing that, okay, you're going to pick, you're going to pick one guy. You're going to pick two guys to start out of the 2021 recruiting class. And you're going to, in one of your comp most confident picks is Jackson light starting over Alex Forsyth. No offense to Jackson Light. I think he is going to be a multi-year starter for Oregon. I think he's going to be very good. But if I had to pick two guys out of this recruiting class to say they are definitively going to start, he is nowhere close to the list, uh, top of that list. No, I don't, not, not at all. And again, I, I think the reality is that recruiting is really exciting and it's really fun to bring these guys in, but the majority of these guys make their biggest impacts here's two, three, four, and five in the program. Um, year one, there are always going to be a couple of guys that are just ready, ready, ready. And they come in and just light it up and you're just like, okay, these are difference makers. And, and you just ran through the list, but the majority of guys, like 90% of the guys aren't going to be huge players, aren't going to be massive impact guys until their second year. And then still a lot of them aren't going to be very impactful until they're 30 or some of the guys aren't going to transfer and never be impactful. And I'm not suggesting that with the players we're talking about now, because like you, I think light's going to be Oregon's next full-time center. But I just think it really does need to be kind of understood that like the trend is not that, Oh, you bring in a highly rated recruit and he just immediately jumps in. And that's not just the case at Oregon. I mean, that's the case everywhere in the country where you see, sure, you, of course, are going to see every now and then some of these elite recruits become immediate impact guys, but a lot of them don't, and a lot of them take a lot of time to get there too. Yeah, there's. it's going to be fun to see play out. I mean, I'm not sitting here saying that there's only going to be two or three freshmen that play a considerable amount of time. I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I, I think when the 2021 season um, – 
is over, we'll we'll see probably ten to, to twelve guys be you know playing over half the games for the 2021 football season. Now it's just how many of those guys start. I think it's probably two or three, maybe, maybe four. Um, but who those three, maybe those two, those four guys are, it's going to be certainly fun to watch. It's going to be exciting to see it play out. Um, another question we had on the board was, okay, if, if you could improve something about Oregon athletics, it could be anything out there. What would you improve as a mega? If you were this made believe mega booster, you were stepping up to the play. I got $10 million, $15 million. And I want to throw it all at, at the university of Oregon. Cause I want to see them improve in this area or get, have this facility or, or whatnot. What would you do? And I, I think Eric, we, we got a, a bunch of answers from that question, which really surprised me. I was not expecting it to take off. Uh, as quickly as it did. And I'll, I'll say, tell you this right now, if you're not on the message board, you need to get on there. There's a ton of discussion, a ton of good posters, a uh, ton of good ideas. And some of the ideas that were thrown around was, Hey, keep spending that money on coaches so that they stay here. I get that, but that's not a, a sustainable um, way of spending that money. Cause eventually that, if you say, Hey, we're going to spend $2 million a year for the next five years, at some point you've got to make it up. Um, right. Other people said expanding Autzen or making updates at Club Autzen, adding a mezzanine level, uh, loosen up the bottleneck for games when the people leave, add more tables and chairs. I think that's a pretty cool idea. Um, one note on a realistic note, um, indoor track facility, which I think probably is one of the most important things that needs to get done at Oregon. They don't have one. Um, they're one of the best indoor and outdoor track programs in the country. The national championships, they're in the hunt every single year, and yet they don't have an indoor facility. Um, that could be something that could get done relatively easy for $10 million. Um, another one that was coming through was kind of improving parking and building some kind of parking structure. And this is this might be where I land. Um if I was to spend $10 million or let's just make up some, you know, whatever the number is. definitive number, but if I was going to do something, I might consider kind of creating like a multi-level building at Autzen and also at Matt Knight arena where maybe the first floor uh, of this is like bars and restaurants and types of, you know, commerce that attracts people. And if, if you don't have tickets to the basketball game, if it's sold out against Arizona, when fans are back in, in, in the arena, or if it's the, it's the Oregon versus Washington football game and it's sold out and, and you want to be at the stadium, but you can't get into the game, have some kind of Avenue where you can go and, and be with other duck fans just outside of the venue to still kind of catch some of that spill off of the excitement. Um, but then also like underground levels two, three, four, five or something of that nature be parking and then upper levels, of two, three, and four be more parking. And then, you know, five, six, and seven and eight, maybe those are like apartments or dorms for the, for the school or some, something um, where you've got like people coming and going and can I hang out around the stadium too on game days? I think that would be really cool. Um, but if I'm doing like a facility thing, I don't indoor, think- indoor is probably the one that stands out the most to me. Yeah. There, there's not that much. I, I mean, I was sitting here thinking like, I feel like all the facilities are really nice and expanding Autzen feels like it doesn't make any sense. I don't that makes no sense to yeah, me. Yeah. I don't think you expand. You, you can, I mean, they're not selling it out. 
why would you why would you put more seats in there? There's not a, there's not if 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 they if you know if it was in the midst of the sellout streak, then yeah. But right now, and maybe things, maybe there's a change in demand once COVID ends and people kind of are reminiscing and and maybe the numbers get to a point where that's something possible. But I look at it right now and I'm like, I go to the, we've been to every home game for the last you know four or five years when there've been fans and it's it's not like it's packed. I mean, there are a lot of people at most of them. I mean, they're not, I'm not saying that they're like 80% full. It's closer to 90, 95, but it's not like, I don't think there's a need to expand Hudson right now. Not at all. I really don't, I don't understand that angle. Would you be, would you be open to reducing capacity at Hudson? That was something I was actually going to suggest. But, but potentially by reducing it, it, you maybe increase the number of club box seats uh, in Hudson where they can generate more money that way. Uh, You, you create more luxury seating, um, you create better facilities for the fan base at the expense of losing five, six, seven thousand seats. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that would be what I would want to do. I would want to spend that money to maximize the in-game experience for those that do appear at games. Because I think, again, you know, and, I, and there's a lot of reasons for this, but again, I don't think it's not like the game attendance numbers are going up. And if they're going the opposite direction, I'd rather make the experience better for those who are there. And I think box seats would be great. I think um, I think just honestly upgrading – I'd like to have a seat backs for every seat around the stadium. I'd like to find ways to make people who are at the game more comfortable. Um, you know, and maybe there are certain sections where that's not the case, but like, I, you know, I haven't sat in games for a while, but when I would sit in games, not like that's the most comfortable seat. And of course you're standing for most of it, but like, I I would like to find ways to make that part more enjoyable, you know, maybe upgrading concessions. Um, I mean, I know they've kind of started to do it, but you could, you could possibly put in some nicer actual like restaurants, you know, kind of up there. Um, I'd like to, you know, I mean, Joke, joke. This would be a joke, but like maybe we just put ten million dollars into the press box, Matt, and make sure that the two of us are super comfortable up there. <laughs> you know, we have our own little like space heaters, you know. I mean, we we find better audio. Um, <laughs> I don't want to dog it uh, too much, but but does the softball facility need to be upgraded? Because that is one. Well, where when fans were in attendance, yeah, and prior to the coaching change. And I think if COVID wasn't a thing in this season, it would be back to those levels where it was almost impossible to get a ticket to any game at the Jane from May and beyond. Like, like once they hit May and the weather warmed up, it was impossible to get tickets to those games just because there are so few of them. I think it's like three or 4,000 people. Um, And when they, we're playing and hosting the uh, softball college world series and they're hoping the opening you know, pod and then the, the series pod, like they would bring in more seats because the demand was so high. Do they need to make that permanent and maybe add more seating to that? Cause yeah, I, it, it really I, I, feels like women's sports are priced insanely cheap yep. and the fan base has gone all in on interest on women's basketball and also softball where you could justify Hey, we need to bring in more people because we're, we're pricing them at this rate. It's a really affordable rate. We don't want to increase prices, but we also want to get more fans in here. Yeah, I would, I would say that would be something to look into at, at Jane Sanders. I know they just built that facility, but it's not that ridiculous to say you want to expand it. And it's 2,500 right now and say, 
let's get that to 4,000 and just see what that does. And if there is, you know, if, I, I would, I think you can monitor that as long as you continue to have sellouts and to have full capacity of like, Hey, then you can keep looking at expanding, which is, and I'd say the same thing with Otson if the numbers were that way and if they were consistent and it was like, Oh my gosh, you know, there, we could put 68,000 people in here, but there's not space for everybody, but that's just not the, there's just not that, um, that, that need right now. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think softball, and I mean, and this is another small one we talk, I, again, this is, some of this is just based upon my experience as a reporter. Shane Sanders needs a new press box that they, they just rebuilt. I don't know why they didn't put more space in there. There's room for like four reporters in there. And if they want full coverage for that program, they should expand that. And I know that's like, I would probably not be where I would put my money if I was a, a supporter of the program, because in that case, I wouldn't care that much about what the reporters were sitting in. But just from like a reporter perspective, that would be something that I would like. Well, it's, it's one of those deals where the fan base has gravitated towards softball. There's a huge interest in it, and the media has figured it out as well that, hey, a lot of people care about knowing what's going on with the softball program. We want to cover it, which yep. in turn brings more eyeballs to, to, the, to the program and to the university, uh, to the women's side of Oregon athletics, and it would be in the best interest of the school to say, hey, there's a huge demand from a fan interest and a huge demand from a media interest to cover this team, we probably should figure out a way to get more people in here to cover it because more and more people are, are watching, are reading, are learning, are coming to the games. And every single year, more and more people are exposing themselves to the first time of the softball program or the volleyball program or the women's basketball program and are going, hey, like, I was just a football guy and now I enjoy in the spring watching the, the softball team play. I signed me up. I'm here. Or it's I watched the, the football team, the men's team, and then I went in and, and got all in on the women's team. And now I want to watch something in the spring and I'm all in on this on this softball team. So it's in the best interest for the U of O to do that as well. Yeah, no, I, I think and I, I do want to circle around because I think you I think the parking thing remains probably honestly, that might be where I'd probably either do something with Otson to maximize that game day experience, because that is ultimately your, that's what brings in the bucks. And if you can increase that facility in some way, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting just thinking about all the facilities around Otson. They don't need to upgrade much of anything out there. I mean, they've put so much time and effort and, and, and financial capital into making sure that that, that you know, the player experience out there is as optimal as possible, that there's not really much need for that. But I do think there is need, for the fans to, and I think parking would be huge. I think you, I liked your concept of, of layering it. And it's not just all, it's not just eight layers of, of parking of, of lots. You know, you have some sort of, you know, a, a hub. Multi-use. Yeah. You have some sort of hub where people hang out before games where, Hey, you, you know, most people are going to want to tailgate out on their own, but if you want to come in and, and probably end up paying a little extra dough, you can sit down at a nice bar and and watch the college football games inside when it's cold and or et cetera, et cetera. I think those kind of things would play really, really well, but parking has always been an issue out there. And, you know, you, anybody who's lived in the area, even if you're not like a diehard football fan and those listening are probably not going to be people like that, but you, you understand on a Saturday, how much the traffic and the parking of that kind of impacts those surrounding areas. And, and just, I think you could find ways to coordinate that a lot better. So I, that would probably be, where I would, would lean is just like trying to find a way to maximize parking. Cause I think that continues to be an issue everywhere. And I know it's obviously doesn't feel that way right now because of COVID and there's no fans, but I just think that, you know, the more you talk to people around town and there, I think there's always a desire to improve the parking. And, and I, I also do think 
doing something with Otson, and you can improve that experience. I just don't think it makes much sense to expand it right now. I don't think there's really a, a, a need to do that. And until that changes, like either you keep it the same or, or maybe, and you, you've seen this around the country a little bit. Isn't Reeser doing this? I think Reeser's making it stadium smaller. Yes. yes. Like I'm not that you want to stunt that you like your goal is to steal the playbook from Oregon state, but Hey, I think it makes sense to improve the, you know, the, the reality is, is, is Oregon's not alone in terms of seeing its attendance numbers go down. That's kind of the trend nationally. I think get behind that and just make sure that the people who are there are getting the best possible experience rather than trying to make it bigger when there's not going to be that many people who show up. I think if, if you were going to do some kind of staff, like if you were going to throw money at staff, I wouldn't spend any of the money on on field coaches. And instead I would take like, okay, let's just say for, for argument's sake, you get $10 million. I would go and say, okay, we want to build out a staff of 15 people. And though each year they're going to combine to make 10 million, they're going to combine to make $1 million. And that staff of 15 their job is to work, let's just say 10 people or 12 people. Um, their job is to work in like social media, graphic design, video, net name, image, and likeness, branding, and being an extension of, of the program's SID department. And like the football team like is a, is a really good example of this. The football team has like two graphics guys. They because the school, like the, the the athletic department, makes enough money off the football program where they can self sustain to pay for this. But I think, but every other sport does not have um, a full staff that's made up like football, and it's it's understandable. Hey, football makes the big bucks from an athletic standpoint, so they're going to get the things that everyone else maybe doesn't get, but. They've got a, you know, Josh Heim is the director of digital media. They have Harris Myers, who is the digital media producer. Um, they have, uh, I'm pretty sure they have another graphics guy as well on the department, but it's those types of personnel, um, video production coordinator, Steve Pohl, uh, video coordinator is another guy, director of recruiting strategy, Sam Popper. Um, like I would go out and, um, hire staff members that can do those things that the football program has, but every for every other school. So like last night's basketball game from the men's side, okay? Like Chris Duarte had like a huge dunk. Like having someone on staff that you know, hey, because like, the SIDs are so busy with the day-to-day of the games and, you know, making sure that got everything lined up and, you know, having someone that can produce the videos that the football team has of them working out or the big plays from the previous game and creating short little highlight, you know, cuts for social media um, or helping athletes with the name image and likeness when that happens uh, here in the next year or so Um, having those staff members on staff uh, and, but when all these things become into play, I think could also help the program um, just get better PR and better reach within the fan base and help drive more connections to the Ducks. Man, I love it. You're thinking outside the box or thinking, I'm going to take $10 million and improve the program's marketing department. That would, I don't think most people would go that angle, but I think it's really smart. And 
you know, um, you pour money into ways to improve the perception of these programs and to improve the way, I mean, cause like the reality is, and we've talked about this off air, you know, if, if, if you're behind on the, some of this stuff, it really comes to bite you. And we know, we know, I mean, part of what made Oregon so successful from a recruiting perspective all these years ago was how innovative they were yep. and continuing to foster that sort of a staff and that sort of environment has obviously paid off in the past. And I would imagine, and not even imagine, I believe would pay off going forward. And I know that that's something that they are clearly hoping and, and wanting to work on. Um, but yeah, like I think commi committing financial capital, that makes sense. And obviously, I mean, like obviously big picture, like if, if you knew, like, like this is totally hypothetical, but if you knew that, Hey, if I keep Mario Cristobal at Oregon for five more years, Oregon's going to win its first national championship in football. I would just take my $10 million and be like, here, Mario, whatever you need for this $10 million, I'm just giving you this $10 million and you make sure you go win this national championship, whether that be what you're talking about now, whether that be something with maybe he wants to pour more money into the recruiting budget. I don't know, right. but like, I, I mean, like the reality is, is, is if, I, if I'm making an investment, it's probably going to be based upon football just because I know that's what, it, you know, that's the biggest thing. And I think, I really think football is like, I know, I know we talk all the time about the conferences and how that goes fading, but I, I think the football program is like, it doesn't feel ridiculous to say that they're within five years, they can compete for a championship or win a national championship. And if all it takes is a little bit of extra resources, you know, divvied up here or there then yeah, that would probably be just the way I'd want to use my money because the reality is, is it, it's been a tough couple of decades for Oregon athletics in terms of they've been on the doorstep so many darn times to win a national championship in so many different sports. And the fact that they haven't been able to do it outside of track and golf um, has been, I think, really disappointing. And football is the one that catches the most eyes. So that's where I would want to put my attention focus. Yeah, that's. I, I think like, if you were to go to Oregon and be like, hey, from a football perspective, you've got 10 years to figure out how to increase revenue by $1 million so that you can have, so you can pay for this. Like, you know, have 10 more coaches that make, or whatever number it is, but you sure. divvy up $10 million over a 10 year span. So one year, 1 million. And however you spend that 1 million a year on, on support staff, um, you've got 10 years to figure out how to, you know, generate the, you know, the extra 1 million in revenue to support that. Like that's the type of assist. That's if I were to spend it on personnel, that's where it goes. Um, it's not the on-field coaches because the more help they have with off-field stuff, the more time they can devote to on-field stuff, which makes them even better um, in, in every area. So like, that's where I would go if I was going to be, um, spending money. It wouldn't be on extending Crystal Ball's contract. It wouldn't be this or Dana Altman's contract. It would be, how can we help you off the court, off the field to free up more time for you to deal and to do more things on the court or on the field or something of that nature and preparing for games so that you're ready to go and, and, and we have the best players, we have the best facilities, we have the best support staff to help you get your job done. And ultimately what matters most winning games. Um, that, that, that's where I would spend the money if it was going to be on some kind of a personnel uh, spending, but I am with you. I think it's facilities in some capacity. Maybe it's improving the fan experience. Uh, maybe it's a better sound system at odds. And I don't know, um, but certainly a ton to watch. It's a, it's, it's a good topic to have, especially in off season for football mode. Yeah. One that maybe we'll discuss later on later in the year. Um, 
But I think that's going to do it for us here on this episode of the Odds and Audibles podcast. And until we talk to you soon, whether that be this weekend if an emergency podcast needs to be happened or next week, uh, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.